Did I do that or did you? Really, we'll have to find out if I'm working here. I may need your help then. Um, today, um, I want us to look at uh, uh, a passage of Scripture. Let me, let me go to the next one here. There we go. Uh, can you hit the background? There we go. There we go. Perfect. Um, today, I want us to look briefly at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. And my purpose in looking at this passage is really just to set the stage for the parable that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 21. Um, both of these are going to be, for most of you, I suspect, familiar stories. And so, like we've done before, I'm going to have you, if you would, uh, stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. So, uh, together, if you would, um, why... Well, sorry. Awesome. You can have a seat. You guys are sharp. All right. I'm pretty sure I don't need to explain this one to you. All right. What's the point? What what's the point of Jesus telling this story? What's that? Fix your own house. All right. Somebody else put it differently, Dean. Yeah, everybody else has got more issues than I do. All right, and I could easily fix their issues if they just listen to me. Right? <laughs> I, I, am I the only one that goes there? <laughs> All right, Faith. Good. It's it's much easier to see their part than it is to see our part um, when there's a difference, or again, when they're making choices we don't think are are healthy choices or or whatever. You know, I, you guys have all said it in your own way, but uh, but to me, it's kind of a an issue of uh, applying. I should have done that a little bit later when you start to get drowsy. Maybe I'll do it again. Um, but um, it's. It's oftentimes easier for us to apply the truths of Scripture to the lives of others than it is for us to apply the truths of Scripture to our own lives. And, and again, we've said repeatedly, or I've said repeatedly, hopefully you've heard me say repeatedly, um, this Tell Me a Story series is about simple stories that represent sobering realities. Today's story that we're going to look at is remarkably simple. It's easy to understand. It's so easy that this time when Jesus tells it, the disciples don't even have to pull him aside and say, please tell me what it means. It's so simple that they got it the first take. It's incredibly simple, easy to understand, However, for the vast majority of us, it is a constant challenge to apply to our daily lives. For many of us, and that's why we looked at Matthew 7 first, 
For many of us, the temptation to project the meaning of this story to others rather than apply it to ourselves can be overwhelming. Sorry. Uh, As you know, I had a couple weeks off, and I'm a little bit rusty, so bear with me. Um, Mark, would you get me... I'm I'm dry. Would you get me a bottle of water? (laughs) Did he really just say that? (laughs) Pat, how about you? Would you give me a bottle of water? Sure. All right. I appreciate that, Pat. Kind of waiting on you, Pat. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) Pat, never mind. All right, I'm good. Okay. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Which one of the guys did what I asked him to do? You can stop now, Pat. All right. So sometimes you get the engine running, you can't turn it off. So, who did what I asked? Mark? Pat's still not doing what I asked, is he? Huh? All right. So, let's look at the story. You know the story. You have your, Pat, Pat, have your conversation a little more quietly. All right. So what do you think, Jesus said? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Now hang with me here. Who's talking? Besides Pat. Who's talking here? The father? All right. So, there was a man, he had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Where's the son going to work? All right. So, father, son, go work in the vineyard. All right. So, the first son, we'll call him Mark, said, I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son. We'll call him Pat, (laughs) among other things, um, and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. So Jesus asked the question, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. All right. Is there anybody here who doesn't understand the story? You can't hear it. <laughs> focus, focus. All right. So, is there? Do you get it? All right. One says yes, but doesn't. One says no, but does. All right. Incredibly simple. 
the sobering reality, again, who asked? The father. Who did he ask? His children. All right. What did he ask them to do? Go work in the vineyard. All right. You're sharp. All right. You got this. So the question today is, which one am I? Which one am I? When we choose to enter into a relationship with God, we are adopted into his family, which makes us, which makes him our father and makes us his children. As his children, he asks us, as a part of our relationship with him as father and us as child, he asks us to work in his vineyard. Simple truth, sobering reality. The question is, which one am I? Where do I fit in this story? In, in pre- as part of my sabbatical last year, which seems like a decade ago, but uh, my sabbatical coach had me do a practice of reading scripture where you read it and you, and you put yourself in the story. And, and this just begs us to do that. When our father asks us to do something as his children, how do I respond? Just a couple of quick, simple responses. Jesus told this story very simply. I'm not going to muddy it up any. All right? That's right up my alley, keeping it simple. The first response is, is what I would call a compliant sinner. Sure, Lord. Whatever you want from me, I'm on it. I, I, I'll do what you ask me to do. then we get distracted or it becomes inconvenient or it becomes difficult or it becomes costly. And even though I sincerely meant it when I said, yes, Lord, you know, we we tend to judge Pat harshly. He may have really meant it when he said yes. I'm talking Pat in the story, not Pat back there, all right? This son who said, yes, I'll do it, Dad, I'm on it, we think he's a loser. He may have sincerely meant it. It may have been his intent. But something got in the way. Somewhere along the line, he got sidetracked, distracted, or the going got difficult. And it's like, you know, I I really want to do that for Dad, but I, I just I just can't. I, I, I've got too much stuff going. It's, it's going to require me to to change something, and I and I just I just can't. A compliant sinner. Uh, we, we give the impression of saying yes, Lord. We sing the songs. We talk the talk, but we struggle to actually walk in obedience and do what our Father has asked us to do.
Then the other response that Jesus gave us is what, what I labeled a rebellious saint. And, and this probably describes some of us as well. Initially, when we are confronted with the things that God asks us to do, we think, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not going to do that. Teach youth group. Give 10% of my income. Take time out of my only day off to go to church in the middle of the summer on a really nice day when there's a boatload, literally a boatload of other stuff we could be doing. That just makes no sense to me. But then we think about it. And we think, in in light of all that God has done for me, in light of how blessed I am, in light of the fact I wouldn't have the boat in the first place if God hadn't blessed me, in light of the fact that I, I wouldn't have anything to give to him, it's all his and I'm just giving it back to him, in light of the fact that somebody loved me enough at some point to serve within the local Christian church, in light of all that, I guess even though initially I thought, you know, that's just crazy, maybe, maybe I will. And we begin to engage. So, compliant sinner, rebellious saint, slow to say yes, but actually follow through in the end versus, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that, but I never get around to it. It's a simple question. Which one am I when it comes to my spiritual life? Jesus' story, there are a multitude, (coughs) excuse me, there are a multitude of options. Jesus' story covered two. I'm going to throw a third one at you, but there are other variations of this. I don't expect this list to be exhaustive. But to me, there's an obedient follower, an obedient child. And there are just, there's so many illustrations of this in Scripture. I, I just, I went to a couple of my favorites, and some of you have been around long enough to know um, I often turn to this for various and sundry reasons. But in Isaiah chapter 6, we read this story. In the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seating on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah's talking about he's just he's just cruising along. And all of a sudden he has a real personal life-changing encounter with God. I mean that that's not what he calls it, but you know what? If I'm cruising on through life and all of a sudden I have a vision or I am thrust into the presence of God and I see him high and exalted, seating on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Friends, that's a life-changing experience. I hope it is for you. Um, if you have an experience like that, please write a book about it. All right. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their feet. With two they covered their uh, two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So, all, okay, just walk with me here. Use your imagination. Uh, but we we have Isaiah. He's having this vision of God seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe was literally filling the the area. And now there are these angels with six wings, and they're just flying there, all right? Uh, again, 
uh, better change your life. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is fill, full of his glory. So, again, keep expanding your vision. <coughs> At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Just wrap your head around that. I'm not judging, but if that doesn't change your world, I'm pretty sure not much is going to, all right? God on his throne, huge robe, angels, and now the building starts to shake and fill with smoke. Either your life changes or you're looking for the door, maybe both. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to be here. For me to be in the presence of God should be my ruin. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So, again, just just try. I know this is asking a lot, but just try to imagine yourself in some crazy, bizarre situation like that. The room's shaking. It's smoking. There's these crazy angels flying around. You're in the presence of God. And one of them takes a red-hot coal from the barbecue and starts coming at you with it. I'm thinking this isn't going to end well for me. There's only one reason to chase somebody around with a red-hot coal, and it's because you're fixing to put it on them. Not that I have any experience with that. Um, With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So in other words, I'm not worthy to be here Boom, I've touched you in a real personal life-changing way, and now you're worthy. You're worthy to be here, not because of what you did, but because of what I did for you. Does this sound vaguely like the gospel message to anybody besides me? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Sound like our parable a little bit? Who will go work in my vineyard? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Friends, that's an obedient child. When his father said, there's a need, They were willing to be made capable and chose to respond to meet the need. Obviously, Jesus is another perfect example, no pun intended. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, anticipating the cross, he said, Father, Jesus had a glimpse of what it was going to cost him 
to go work in the vineyard as his father asked him. And he said, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I just soon not have to do that job. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Which one am I? Compliance sinner? Oh, sure, God, whatever you want. Oh, hallelujah, I'll do whatever you ask. As long as it's not this, this, or this, or this, or it's not today, or it's not... um, As long as it doesn't cost me too much. Rebellious saint. You know, I'm just not sure about this. But eventually we get around to saying, you know what, yeah, I'm in. I'll, I'll do this. Which one am I? Am I that obedient child, that obedient follower of Christ, who says, you know what, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not up to this task. But if you will enable me, empower, equip me, if you will go with me, I will go. Even though it's hard. Not, not my will, but yours be done. Which one am I? As you wrestle with that, because you don't need me to explain this anymore, and you really don't even need me to say what I'm going to say next. But as you wrestle with which one am I, remember that Jesus told that story in Matthew 21 after the triumphal entry. Which means he was on the home stretch. He was in that last week before his crucifixion, leading to his resurrection, leading to his ascension to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And as I said on countless occasions, the closer we get to something that's really important, the more we focus on the essentials and the fundamentals. The fact that Jesus knew his crucifixion was coming, that he chose to tell them a simple story that called them to consistent obedience, tells me, hey, sit up and take notice. Because he's not just telling this story for entertainment. He knows that they're going to need it. In the story... The father was asking his children to work in his vineyard. As I've already told us, reminded us, you knew it, were his children. This world in which we live is his vineyard. And I'm just going to go through by no means an exhaustive list, but a few scriptural reminders of what it is he's asking us to do as his children. And I'm asking us to think, which one am I? How am I going to respond? Oh, sure, Jesus, I'm on it. But we don't get around to it. Or, I'm not sure about this, but we get around and do it. Or like Isaiah, yes, Lord, as long as you equip, empower, enable, and accompany me, I'm in. So some of what our Father asked us to do in his vineyard... Jesus described his life mission in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Father, Son, Vineyard. How are we doing with that? Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How are we doing with that? Your board of administration had a meeting last week with a, with a consultant. And he, he made it, at least for me, painfully uncomfortable when he talked about the goal is not for us to make disciples in the church. The goal in the church is for us to make disciples who then turn around and make disciples, who then turn around and make disciples. So if that's what my father's asking me to do in his vineyard, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with walking, I mean, some of you know, it's kind of hard to teach people to obey when you choose not to obey yourself. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with teaching people to obey what God commands? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the ends of the earth. I don't want to harp on this too hard. But just go slow. I read stuff fast. I apologize. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When God's Spirit comes upon you, He brings with Him power. And it says simply, and you will be my witnesses. Not you can be my witnesses but it says you will be my witnesses if we're his children we are his witnesses the question becomes am I a good witness or not am I witnessing am I being a witness in the power of the Holy Spirit or am I not John chapter 21 verse 15 this is the story and I reference it often after Jesus, after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, remember Peter denied him and Peter's feeling like a total loser. Alright? And he has this encounter with Jesus in John chapter 21. They went fishing and, and Jesus helps them catch a boatload of fish and, and they're having this dialogue, just Jesus and Peter. It's, it's, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. That's verse 15. Jesus says, feed my lambs. In verse 16, they have the same discussion, and Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And in verse 17, they have the same discussion, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. So feed my lambs, baby sheep, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. Friends, Our Father's asking us to feed his lambs. He's asking us to take care of his sheep. He's asking us to feed his sheep. So which one am I? Am I? 
John chapter 4. It's the whole story of the woman at the well. And I won't tell the whole story. But but the Jesus the the disciples are concerned that Jesus hasn't been eating and and they they have this conversation and Jesus is ministering to a woman who's far from God. And Jesus says simply, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work." That's my sustenance is doing the work that I've been sent to do. Kind of interesting to think about. Then, John 14, verse 15. Can it be any simpler than that, folks? Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Which one am I? Do I walk in obedience? It's really easy, folks. I don't mean to be harsh. I'm preaching to the preacher. It's really easy to say, I love you, Jesus. Not quite so much to walk consistently, faithfully, in ever-deepening obedience. Which one am I? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. So once again, which one am I? He goes on and follows that up after we've walked in that obedience and says, Then love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love others, and do it consistently. I know I've only touched on a few, but I, I would trust that none of you have any question about some of what your father's asking you to do in his vineyard as you walk in obedience. Where we started, Matthew twenty-one twenty-eight. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. Simple, clear request. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Which one am I? Simple stories, sobering realities. Would you pray with me? Father, speaking only for myself, I can think immediately of times in my life when I have fallen into each and every one of those categories. I can think of times where in a moment of enthusiasm and passion and inspiration, I said, oh, I'm all in, Father. Wherever you go, or wherever you send, I will go. I'm in. 
and then I struggled to follow through. I've been there. There have been times, Father, when I've been reluctant to say yes, I will respond to your call, your direction, your instruction. But eventually got to the point that I said, sure, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm uncertain. It's scary. Not sure I'm good enough or capable or know enough, but I'll do it. And then there have been those times where I've caught a vision from you and said, okay, I'll go if you go with me. Father, I know that's my experience. I suspect that's the experience of many, if not most, if not all in this room. And I think what you call us to, Father, is to be on that journey of being honest with ourselves when there's a plank in our eye, being honest with ourselves when we don't follow through on promises we've made to you. Just just be honest with ourselves. Deal with the plank. Father, there are those times, and just pray that you would help us to embrace your conviction when we've said no and, and we need to say yes and we work through that painful process with you. Help us to embrace that as part of our journey with you. And Father, help us to increasingly, intentionally work to be more consistent in saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm not good enough, strong enough, fast enough, smart enough. But if you will bring a coal from your altar, touch my life, set it on fire for you and make me worthy, I'll go and I'll look forward to having you go with me. Help us to move, Father, to a place of increasing obedience to where when you say, please work in my vineyard, we do. And we see a harvest because of it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay.